Good morning. My name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor and one of the elders here at Mercy Hill. And um, it's a privilege for me to get to worship with you this morning and be reminded of the truths of Jesus Christ, that there is good news in the gospel, that Jesus is our hope. And uh, I just want to encourage you guys. Um, I, I hear you singing. And we've been meeting on Sunday mornings for just a few years now. And um, Andrew and I have talked, and one of our goals has been that, one of our primary goals has been that, that this congregation learns to sing. And I hear you singing, and I'm excited about that. And I just want to encourage you, like, our next step is to get freed up. So some of y'all are there, and some of us, uh, we still got a ways to go. But um, it's exciting just to, to be reminded of the truths that we hold dear to our hearts, and we need that reminder each week. And we're thankful for our music team that helps us to do that. Um, I just want to encourage you, if you're not part of a missional community, Sundays are so vital to what it means to follow Jesus. And missional communities are small spiritual families where we meet together throughout the week on an evening. Um, They meet on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday And we enjoy a meal together, and we just want to come together as a small spiritual family to both see Jesus more clearly and then to display Him to Memphis. So each of those missional communities is centered around a particular mission. And we want to invite you, if you're not part of a missional community, we'd love to have you just come out and enjoy a meal with us. You can ask anyone around you about um, how to find out more information about those MCs. You can look on our website, mercyhillmemphis.org, and look at gathering, and you'll see information on missional communities. would love to have you to be part of one of those. This morning, we're jumping back in to Ephesians chapter 5. You guys know we love to preach verse by verse through the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are our foundation for life and for godliness. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we're looking at this letter that Paul has written to the, church at, to the churches at Ephesus. And as we look at this particular section of Ephesians, Paul is in a section on marriage that we began last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, I want to encourage you to go back and hear the podcast because it sets a good context for what we're going to wrap up today. Just as a reminder, last week we saw that Paul called for wives to submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ. And then he called husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And both of those commands as we talked about them if you'll remember we talked about how Paul would have been seen as very culturally liberal during his day and time he would have been the first advocate for women's rights because he is he is making enemies within the church there would be a lot of people who would be upset at Paul for what he commanded they'd be upset at Paul because Paul is saying husbands Love your wife like Christ loved the church, meaning Jesus died for the church. So husbands, sacrifice for your wife because they have equal dignity, worth, and value. Paul was saying that women have equal dignity, worth, and value just like men. And that was unheard of in his context. In this day and time, Most women couldn't own land. 
They had very few rights. A man could simply write a receipt of divorce and hand it to his wife. And it was over and she would be cast out, unable to know how she was going to make it on her own. And Paul is saying, men, you are to love, respect, and see your wife with equal value, worth, and dignity. He goes on and he says, and there are differing roles within the home that he lays out. And we looked a little bit more primarily at this command that wives are to submit to their husband. We said not to a country and not to a region. And so in other words, women, if you allow America to define culturally who you are, America's going to say it's about how attractive you are. On the outside, America's going to say it's about what you've accumulated, what your wealth is, and what you've done, and what you've accomplished. But Paul is saying, no, wives, submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ. And then he's going to say, men, in the way you lead your home, he never uses the word lead, he says, you're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, we're going to pick up there in part two, and... What we saw last week is that submission is necessary for godliness. Not only for women, equally for men as well. Submission is necessary for godliness. It's a two-way street. And if you don't understand that, go back and look. Uh, Andrew's referenced several passages of Scripture that he said we were reading this week. He's talking about the community Bible reading journals that many of you have purchased If you want to find out more information about that, you can go to thecbrjournal.org. You can see the scripture reading for each day. But in this last week, in the book of Luke, we read a story about a soldier. And he said that he was in charge of many men. And he asked Jesus to come and to heal his servant. And on the way, he he sent someone and said, Stop, I'm not worthy for Jesus to come under my roof. And he said, I know that this is a man who's under authority. I know what it means to be a man under authority. I tell soldiers to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. Tell Jesus, I'm not worthy for him to come under my roof. But if he will simply say the name, if he he comes under the name of God, if he will simply declare that my servant is healed, I know that he will be. And Jesus' response was very interesting. Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this. In all of this region. Faith and authority are intrinsically tied together. It's impossible to be a person of faith without being a person who understands that you are under authority. And we're called each to be under the authority of God. We're called within the church to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And then we're going to see today and continue to see how God has called Our wives to submit to their husband out of reverence for Christ and for men to lovingly lead their wife like Christ has led the church. So let me jump in because I threw a couple extra things in there already and those were free. So let's get rolling. Uh, The big idea for today is this. Your marriage is a picture of the love, intimacy, and oneness that Jesus desires with his church. Your marriage is a picture of the love, intimacy, and oneness that Jesus desires with his church and with you. We're going to unpack that looking at the rest of this text. Let me ask, have any of you ever been in love before? 
only one person. You guys, two people, you guys, let me see if I can set the mood for y'all. I mean, you, what is going on? Let's see. Yeah, I think I've got something. Have you ever been in love before? Like, do you remember what it's like to be in love? Hold on, 80s kids. Let's see if you can hear this. Anybody? Can you hear that? Okay, you remember what it's like to be in love? You remember you just like cannot spend enough time with them. Like, we didn't have cell phones. You got that... You got that phone with the long extension on it, and you've taken it in your room, and you're just like sitting there. You're not even talking. Just breathing with one another. You know? Like you can't get enough time together. Right? Are you there with me now? Don't make me keep playing this. All right. Sorry about that. You got Richard Marks in your head all day. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever considered when Paul says in verse 32 of this passage, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church? Have you ever considered that our marriages are just a shadow of the kind of love and intimacy and oneness that Jesus desires to have with us? Like that love and desire that you felt for someone, and maybe you dismissed it as as youthful love or, or even lust, but I'm not just talking about what we experienced when we were 14 or 15 or 16. Um, Think about a couple that you respect who've been together for 30 or 40 or 50 years and the kind of love and commitment and maturity that they have with one another. Like, that's the kind of relationship that God desires for us. That our marriages represent the closest relationship that we will have here on earth. But our marriages are only a shadow of the type of relationship, the intimacy, the oneness that Jesus desires to have with us, his children. In today's text, Paul spends three times the amount of verses speaking to the men. And so I'm going to address the men an awful lot today. He spends three times the amount of verses speaking to men than he did to women in this text. And he instructs men to lead their homes by using this word love. Today I want to share two quick points with you in achieving oneness in our homes and in our marriages. The first point is this. Oneness comes through considering your spouse's needs first. Look with me in verse 28. Oneness comes through considering your spouse's needs first. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. There's an awful lot that's packed in those few verses. 
Paul gets really practical in this section of Scripture on husbands and wives. And his first command seemed really uh, chivalrous. If you think back to verse 25 that we looked at last week when he said, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Yes, very chivalrous. And then theologians have kind of struggled with this second command that we see in verse 28 because it seems so mundane. And love them like you love your own body. Like, you were up here, Paul. And then what happened? I mean, some theologians have even wondered, like, is, have we mistranslated it? Is there another meaning here? But it's not, it's not the truth. In, in essence, Paul is interested, I believe, in offering very practical help for men. And the instruction he gives, it's really nothing new. It's simply a different angle on, on Jesus' command in Matthew 7 that we've come to know as the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. But Paul is making it even more personal. He's saying, men, love your wives as much as you love your own body. Think about that for a minute with me, men. Now, we're tempted to read that and to somewhat dismiss it. Oh, we, men, we don't, we don't, we're not worried about makeup and our hair, and we just throw on some clothes. And go. It's not true. It's not true at all. We are very attuned to our bodies and what we put in them. Think about all the food that you eat each day, that you are very particular about. Think about you wake up in the morning, men, and what do you want? You want, I want that first cup of coffee, and I want it to be a particular kind of coffee. Uh, over, the, over Christmas, one of my family members gave me this mug, and it came from Starbucks. I apologize if you don't like Starbucks coffee. I happen to love Starbucks bold coffee. You can hate me for it later. But I got this mug, and I, I got one a couple of years ago, too. I'd never seen it before. It's called the Starbucks Mug of the Month. Anybody ever heard of this? And if you're so lucky as to get one, I used it this morning. I've used it every day in January, but one day. You just walk in with this mug, and you hand it to the barista, and, and I say, dark roast, no room. And she says, Okay, and she fills it up and hands it back to me. And that's all we do. There's no payment involved. You get free coffee for the whole month. And my family member knew me well enough to know that I would utilize that to its fullest extent because they know me well. They say you're only supposed to get one cup a day, but they also change the baristas every four hours. So it doesn't seem like a very good plan to me. But I'm very attuned to what goes into my body. Not only what I eat and what I drink, but... Guys, we care about what we wear. Let's just be honest. I bought a coat at Christmas just because I wanted another coat. I already had a coat, but I wanted another coat, so I bought a coat. Guys, think about all our hobbies that we like to do. I mean, I like to do woodworking, and I'm just a guy who likes tools. And Chris sent a crew out to my house last year to work on my house, and I realized I have better tools and more tools than his crew had. I felt kind of bad. Like, guys, we pay attention to ourselves. Let, can, we be, can we recognize that we take care of ourselves? 
Like we watch what we want to watch, right? Like the TV's going to come on at some point today, either on your phone, on a screen, or whether it's a real TV. And you're going to be watching, right? I mean, Saturday morning, you come to my house, you're going to get slapped on the hand if you change the channel when this whole house is on. Like, that's, my, that's what I watch. Like, we care for ourselves. Now, Paul is saying that same attention that you have to yourself, what would it be like if you paid that type of attention to your wife? That seems pretty difficult. Almost seems impossible. But here's where Paul's teaching gets interesting. If we consider our spouse's needs first, listen closely, we'll actually be considering our own needs because Paul says that we are one. That's how he can say, he who loves his wife loves himself in verse 28. Go think about that for the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) He who loves his wife loves himself. And so, men, this means that we're going to have to get to know our wives if we're going to pay the kind of attention to them and caring for them and what Paul uses the words cherishing them and nourishing them in the same way that we care for our own bodies. Just a couple of ways that you might consider getting to know your wife. You say, oh, I know my wife. You probably don't know her as well as you think you do. Um, If you think you know your wife well, sit down on a date or sit down when you have an hour together and share with one another. Share with me um, a memory from every year of your life. Okay, well, not going to remember first year, second. Okay, the first memory I have is, that's interesting and very telling of someone. What's their first memory? Then you start going through the grades. Like, well, in kindergarten, I remember. In first grade, I remember. You would be amazed how much you would learn about your spouse if you just said, share one memory with me from every year of your life. Another thing that I would encourage you to do, um, years ago there was a book that came out and it was a huge rave. It was called um, Five Love Languages. I mean, you guys are familiar with it. So there's all these different love languages. And I'm just kind of reminding you of it. If you haven't read it, don't go read it, don't buy it. Just Google summary of the five love languages. Then you can cheat. Um, If you didn't learn this in high school, you you weren't a good student. So you don't have to read everything, just, you know, Figure out what it's talking about. And so you look at these five love languages and you figure out what are the first couple, how I feel loved. You don't even have to do a a test. You can just read them and you'll know. But here's what's so important in a a relationship. If you're going to nourish and cherish your spouse, men, if you're going to nourish and cherish your spouse, she feels loved in a different way most likely than you feel loved. And so you're going, man, I'm emptying the dishwasher every night. I'm doing the laundry like every other day. And she just doesn't seem to be appreciating it. It may not be her love language. She may be like my wife is. Like my wife would say, well, thanks for doing your part. But I just thought that was kind of like what we did. I didn't, that doesn't show me love. And so... I am learning over time, and I have not learned this. I am learning over time that words of affection and gifts are a couple of ways that my wife feels loved, especially affirmation and encouragement. 
when it comes to words of affection and, and, and gifts, especially unexpected things. And both of those are difficult for me because of the way that I was raised and the framework and family that I grew up in. Um, I grew up in a family where gifts, we, we were pretty conservative with our money, and so we weren't real extravagant with, with gifts, and it uh, wasn't something that was modeled for me, um, similar in some ways with our words. And so it has taken me years and is still taking me years. Like, I know what I'm getting my wife for Mother's Day. I know right now. Or maybe I'll do Valentine's because it's coming up first. But I, like, keep some gift ideas. And it's taken me years to do that. And I'm not very natural at it. But I understand that my wife feels loved when I prioritize that. And so I just encourage you, what does it look like to nourish and cherish your spouse? So oftentimes, when things aren't going well in our marriages, we'll try to think, what are ways that I can fix my spouse? But Paul in this passage is saying, man, if we love them like we love our own bodies, the way to fix our spouse is not to fix them, but to bless them. And if we're a blessing to our spouse, and if we think of them and consider them and cherish them and nourish them, we'll be surprised how much unity and oneness we will see grow in our relationship if we are patient over time. And if that doesn't feel fair to you, if you'd say she doesn't deserve it, he doesn't deserve it, then I would just reference the gospel. Neither did we. And Jesus came and he put up with an awful lot from us. And he still does. And it wasn't worth it. And he loved us. And he poured out his grace and he showed us mercy. And because he did that and placed his spirit in us, he gives us the power to love our spouse when they don't deserve it. And get this, when we don't trust them because we trust Jesus. I'm going to keep moving here. Before I leave this point, I just want to say, men, can I point out that verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, not husbands, lust after your wives. We live in a really confused culture in which we've substituted lust for love. And we, we are not even aware of it. And we've almost completely lost the biblical definition of love. I stole this definition from Vody Bauckham years ago. thought it was brilliant. And everybody that I do premarital counseling with, we have a session where we just sit down and talk about this is what biblical love is. Love is an act of the will. It is accompanied by emotion. And it leads to action on behalf of its object. And what I mean by that is this. You cannot fall in and out of love. You can fall in and out of lust. Love is an act of your will. You choose to love. And when you choose to love, you can choose to love by trusting in Jesus no matter the circumstances and no matter the cost. Love is an act of the will. It is, men and women, accompanied by emotion, meaning it is neither led by emotion, roller coaster ride. Some of you guys know this, especially the early years of your marriage, when you go on that roller coaster ride because you're your marriage is led by emotion. And it's easy to see that your spouse has become your idol oftentimes when a fight erupts 
and it just feels like the world is coming to an end. Love is an act of the will. It is accompanied by emotion. It is neither led by emotion and men. It is also not void of emotion. So often, I get concerned when I sit down in premarital counseling. And if I hear a couple say, you know, I ask them, why do you love her? Tell me all the ways. And I start taking notes. Because some of you use it in the ceremony later. And I look at her and say, why do you love him? When I hear things like it just kind of makes sense, I'm like, hold on. You better be madly in. You better think she's the hottest thing to ever walk through. You better be over the top for this person because you got a lot of struggle ahead. And if you're starting out with it just seemed like the right thing to do, Probably not a good base and foundation for marriage. Marriage and love is an act of the will. It's a choice. It is, it is accompanied by emotion. It's not led by emotion. It's not void of emotion. And it leads to action on behalf of its object. Meaning, if you love someone, you will cherish them. You will nourish that relationship. You will sacrifice for them, no matter the cost. Love. I want to keep moving. Secondly, if we're going to have oneness, oneness is built on trust through openness and time. Oneness is built on trust through openness and time. Um, We're headed downhill. We're about to round third base, so stick with me here. I'm not going to stay in this text too long, but this is a really important principle. It's important for your marriage, but it's also important just for life. Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You ever had friends that don't figure this out early on? That don't leave mother and father? And just you just watch the train wreck that begins to happen when she tells mom stuff that she's not telling her husband. Or when he's telling mom stuff that he's not telling her uh, the wife. Just the train wreck that begins to happen. Paul's actually quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which I find really interesting because if you know anything about Genesis, we haven't reached chapter 3 yet, which means what? The fall hasn't taken place. And so when Paul quotes from Genesis 2, 24, it's a command that's given by God before sin ever even entered the world. And to understand this command, when a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two become one flesh. To understand that command, you have to understand the context. He's not talking about geography. Because most often times, a man would stay in the same career that his family had been in for generations. When it's time to, when it's time to marry someone, this is what had happened. His dad would say, okay, son. Looks like this portion of the house right here would be a good place for you to add a room onto. All right, Dad, thanks. And he goes and gets some stone and he starts building a room to add on to his father's house. That was the context. It, that, that gives you a lot of information when Jesus says, In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it weren't, were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again so that I can receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. He's using wedding language. So back in the day, when he says, that the two shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, they're still living under mom and dad's roof. They're just in another room. 
They're going to keep working the fields with their brothers. They're going to keep doing the same thing they've been doing. He's not talking about geography here. Instead, he's speaking about standing up for, siding with, elevating your wife's rights and needs, even above that of your parents, which would have been unheard of in this context and in this culture. This command also points to the fact that marriage creates the closest of all human relationships. Man and woman become one, both physically and emotionally and spiritually and even mentally. My wife often knows what I'm thinking before I speak. And we'll finish each other's sentences. And it's gotten a lot worse as my hearing gets worse. Like... My hearing isn't very good, and uh, the elders and wives know that because when we go out to dinner, they'll sit me in the middle of the table because they get tired of me asking, what do he say? And so now we've got this thing that goes on in our house where something will happen, and I'll make a response, and then from across the room, Katie will say, I just said that. I just said those exact words. You can't hear me. And I'm like, it's funny, but it's not. And uh, we finish each other's sentences. It wasn't like that in the beginning. It oftentimes happens that way now. And this command, as it points us to this fact that we're growing in oneness, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, it doesn't happen automatically. Um, it, It takes place over time, And I've got a graph that I want to put um, on the screen for you that illustrates how trust works. And this is so important, not only in marriage, but in all relationships. So trust increases as openness increases over time. Here's what I mean by that. Or here's an illustration of how not to do that. Um person walks up to you outside of Starbucks. You're walking out because you're like me. You love Starbucks and you've been to Starbucks with your monthly mug. And you walk out and this person walks up to you and says, Hey, I need 20 bucks. I promise I'm not going to use it for drugs. I'll be honest with you or I'll be open with you in saying I am a drug addict, but I've quit. And I promise if you give me 20 bucks, I'm not going to buy crack with it. If you look at them and you say, tell me the last time when you used, and they say this morning, it's probably not a good idea to give them that $20 unless you want to purchase some drugs that day. Do you understand this principle? They were completely open with you. They said, the last time I used was this morning. But how long have you known them? You're right at 45 seconds at this point. It's probably not time to trust them with your $20. In the same way, when a couple comes to me and says, we are so in love with each other. We're ready to get married next month. And I go, I didn't even know you were dating. So, how long have you known each other? Oh, we met four weeks ago. We've been together every weekend. She lives in Montana, and and I'm here in Memphis, but it's great. My response to that is, okay, fine. Enjoy the justice of the peace. I'm not going to do your wedding. Come back to me in a year. And it's not like a year to the date. But my recommendation is always experience the four seasons of the year together. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Experience a year. Have time to fight. Have time to have normal problems. 
have time to know what a real relationship is like because it doesn't matter how open you are. We've shared everything with each other. We've been together for the last month, 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter how open you are. Trust only happens over time. Over time. And let me just add that trust is easily eroded. And so trust takes place as openness increases over time. Both of these are hugely important for oneness to increase in marriage. But it also means that as marriage grows older with time, that we have this increased capacity to grow in trust and in oneness. And so some of you are disappointed. You're like, man, I don't really know this person that I've been married to that well. We haven't been that open with one another or we haven't had that much time. But here's the, here's the beauty of it. Think how much oneness is going to increase when 30 years from now you're like, we've been growing in trust because we've been growing in openness over time and we've been growing in the joy and the unity of oneness with one another and with Jesus. I'll wrap up with this. Verse 32, Paul says, This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. The mystery he's talking about is marriage, but then he says it's profound, and then he says he's referring to Christ in the church. Which one's he talking about? What's mystery? Christ in the church or marriage? Yes. And then he, he sticks this little footnote in there in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What's that about? Paul's actually referencing Genesis 3, verse 16. So if you've been reading the CBR journal, you read that two weeks ago. And in that verse, after the fall, God says, your desire shall be, speaking to, the, to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Meaning, men have a tendency toward being Overly responsible at work and passive in the home. Let me say that again. Men have a tendency, the majority of men are overly responsible at work and passive in their home. It's something that God has written into who we are that we want to lead. But we tend to be overly aggressive at work and then passive in the home, which causes our wives to struggle to respect our leadership especially when we aren't providing it or when we're relinquishing it. And when we're uninvolved, our wives will tend to desire to take over. And that's what this verse is talking about back in Genesis chapter 3, that the results of the fall is that Eve's desire is to be contrary to her husband's, but Adam's going to rule over her. So we go into marriage with this handicap. Like we go into marriage already with this struggle. Like, I don't know that I really do trust you. And I don't know that I trust your leadership. And for some of our wives, or I would even say most of our wives, they look at us and they say, trust your leadership? You're going to lead like my dad led? You lead like my dad led and I'm not going to trust your leadership for a moment. So what's the safe thing to do? Well, I'm going to step in and I'm going to make sure that I lead. So there's this friction and this fight that's taking place under the surface that we don't even realize. And it's all because of sin and the fall. Paul is reminding men here. 
He's reminding us to lead through loving. And he's reminding women to love through respecting. Let me say that again. He's reminding men to lead through loving. And he's reminding women to love through respecting. Which I'll just say as a footnote. Um, if you ever see anyone who in public is throwing their spouse under the bus and they have a pattern of regularly talking about their spouse, take that person aside very gently and encourage them to speak well of their spouse. Encourage them to love their spouse in public, not just in private. Here in this text, in Christ, we see the full extent of God's love and marital faithfulness. Our marriages should point to the same. God does not exist to make much of marriage. Marriage exists to show the world the glory of Christ and his church. Two quick things in wrapping up. I get fired up about marriage for these two reasons. The Bible teaches that marriage is actually a picture of the greater and more permanent relationship we have with Jesus. It's more permanent because the scriptures tell us that we won't be given, we won't give or be given in marriage in heaven. Some of you guys are like, what? But, but in that, knowing, loving, and worshiping Jesus will be far more fulfilling than anything that we experience in marriage. That's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom until we come to realize that God is the one who created marriage. God is the one who created sex. God is the one who created the, the institution of family. And if we view all those things as wonderful, then how much more wonderful is the creator of all of that? And if marriage is a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church, then how we love our spouse and lead our families in marriage is one of the greatest testimonies we can give in pointing others to Jesus Christ. You say, how do you do evangelism well? I don't like telling other people about Jesus. I don't like proselytizing. The first way that you can make disciples well is to love your spouse well. Because how you love in your marriage points other people to Jesus. I don't care how gifted a man or a woman is in leadership, in teaching, or in influence. If they do not lead and love their family well, the world will write them off as a hypocrite and a fake. Therefore, our marriage relationship should be our greatest and highest value, only following behind our relationship with Jesus. So this is not to say that there isn't hope for those who have suffered through divorce or that have failed in a way. It's not to say that they aren't forgiven and that those things can't be redeemed. However, I do want to say, anyone who's experienced divorce as an adult or as a child, they know that sting of divorce. They know that it's one of the worst things a child or an adult can go through. They understand the statement that it's sometimes worse than death in some ways. The statement doesn't even have to be explained to them. And I would say that for a congregation, just I just want to 
leave this caveat that in situations where divorce becomes necessary, whether that's because of adultery or abandonment or abuse, the Bible points to those three specific episodes in that even when divorce takes place, it's likened to an amputation, which is to mean it was necessary in order to save the rest of the body, but the body will always be affected by it. And so when we think about how precious marriage is, when we think about it's a picture of Christ and his church, we think about it's what Love and intimacy and oneness with Jesus looks like and desires for us. What do you do if your marriage is a mess? I want to leave you with this quote from Richard Koken. He says, And when our marriages are struggling, while we stay together, we are not a battlefield, but a victory parade, demonstrating God's power to keep us together under Christ an illustration of the gospel. For the Bible is a story of God choosing a wife for his son and astonishingly choosing wretched sinners like us to be that bride and so to enjoy his marvelous grace. Our happy marriage to Christ is the goal of history and every earthly marriage, whether as a beautiful comparison or an ugly contrast is a powerful reminder of it. Your marriage is a picture of the love and the intimacy and oneness that Jesus desires to have with you. He loved you so much that he even used wedding language when he sat down with his disciples at the Last Supper. And when he took that cup of juice, it was as if as he drank out of it and then stretched it to his disciples, it was very much like a wedding ceremony, as if he were saying, will you be mine? And in the same way today, as we come to worship Jesus at his table, as we come to take of the Lord's Supper, we want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and, and as you take of the bread to remember his body that was broken for you that gives us relationship with God. And as you take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice, and as you eat it, you're reminded of his blood that was spilled out for us. And as you come to this table again today, may you be reminded that it is if Jesus is saying, I am yours and you are mine. We invite our musicians to come to the stage and those who are serving communion to come and serve. If you would, bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, thank you for the institution of marriage. Um, you created it when you created Eve. And when Adam said, wow, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And uh, God, you created something special. And God, in marriage, may we be reminded that it is only a shadow, that it's only a picture 
of the kind of oneness and intimacy and love that you desire to have with us. God, I want to pray for all of our marriages across this room because we have to admit that marriage is very difficult and that there's no marriage in this room that, that it's going great and that it's easy. So God, may we as a church humble ourselves in saying, Jesus, we need you. May we love you more than we love ourselves. May we love our spouse more than we love ourselves. Jesus, may we, through the power of your Spirit, nourish and cherish this relationship. And God, through your miraculous, mysterious power, may you enable us to see how the closeness and oneness and intimacy that we enjoy is only a drop in the bucket compared to what we have with you, what we have in the marriage relationship. Jesus, thank you for your love, undying love for us. Remind us of that as we come to your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and worship. His table is open.